Tonight's show is brought to you by the Ozarks Home and Outdoor Recreation Expo, October 21st through the 23rd at the Rogers Convention Center in Rogers, Arkansas. Bendetti Optics and you, our listeners. And I was like, oh crap. And I can just hear in my mind the conversation they must have been having as I drove by. I can just see the little boy looking. I'm like, Grandpa, what was that? And him just looking down and going, well, Sonny, that there was a midlife crisis. What is up, all of you Wayward Souls, and welcome back to the Wayward Stories podcast. Wayward Stories is the podcast where we tell the tales of our wanderings and our wonderings. How have you guys been? It's been a couple of weeks since we talked. My last couple of weeks has been a little bit crazy. You guys may remember me talking about um, last time that I had a whole lot of homework, a whole lot of schoolwork that was going on coming out of the Labor Day weekend. Y'all, it's been a crazy couple of weeks. This last week was kind of a train wreck, but... I did make some significant progress. I did get over the hump with one of the things that's really had me bogged down. And I'm talking absolutely just trudging along, trying to get through my comp two stuff. The comp two stuff, it was only like 37 freaking essays or something like it was ridiculous. Well, I finally got the final one, the biggest one taken care of. And now it's just a matter of waiting on grading and then I'll have to do revisions to it, which will take all of maybe half an hour to incorporate revision. So essentially I'm done with the one that was really, really other than statistics. You guys may remember me talking about Satan's tongue, like statistics was horrid. That was a bad one, but this is the one that's kind of really been holding me back. And I finally got it did got her did. And now it's just a matter of waiting on that grading. But everything from here on out is going to be all downhill because all I have left now for all these CLEP courses, these kind of fast track courses for my prereqs, my gen eds, whatever you want to call them, they're all going to be electives now. We're going to be taking, well, not all the easy ones because I still love like history and stuff and I want to take a few of those, but I move really quickly through those because I know them. And then everything else, we're just going to fill in with like, I don't know, underwater basket weaving, like whatever blow off elective they will offer me. I will knock it out so I can move on because guys, honestly, I'm literally within a few months. When did I start? Six months ago. I'm literally within a few months of my associate's degree. Um, college is different. For anyone out there who's been scared of every, like if any of you are non-trads like me and you're like, I don't want to go back. I don't, I don't have time. And when will I have the time and the money? It's different. Things have changed and no one tells you this. When you look into it, nobody tells you these things. It literally takes stepping out on that limb, opening that door and saying, this is it make or break. I've tried everything else. I've beaten my head against the wall my whole life trying to spurn this. I don't, I'd saying I don't need a degree. I should be able to work hard and get ahead. Guess what? America does not work that way anymore. You have to have this stupid piece of paper that says, okay, no, I will hire you to come learn on the job. I can train you to what you actually need to know. Is it BS? Yes, it is, but it's true. This is the world we now live in. So anyway, it takes actually taking that step before these things start to, you know, the doors start to open before these things start to present themselves. College is not what it used to be. Online courses, if you pick the right schools, real brick and mortar accredited schools like I have and so many other people have the option of now, just as good a degree. Absolutely. People don't even question it because it doesn't say online degree. It just says you got a degree from Arizona State or the University of Oklahoma or where the heck ever you want to go. Um, and they have options. You can get through your gen eds in like four or five months if you're really to 
like put your nose to the grind and burn through it, which is what I've been doing. The first part's almost over with in like six months for like grand total $600 for all that stuff. And all the while I've been doing third year stuff, doing all these club classes on the side. I started in my third year, essentially like all this philosophy and crap I've been telling you guys about. It's been a, it's been kind of a pain because these are like dense accelerated classes. And I started in year three with like no college whatsoever up until this point in my life. It's been a thing, but it's totally doable. So take that just for me. Let me be, you know, transparent as I try to be with my life. Any of you out there that have thought this is too much, it'd be wait, you know, my life's over. It just is what it is. I'm just stuck with what I have. Not necessarily. Things have changed. Things are changing. They're still ever evolving. If you're interested in it, look into it or even reach out to me and I will give you the info that I have. I'm not going to spread it all right here because this is a different kind of podcast, but my wayward story at gmail.com reach out to me and I will holler at you about it. I will let you know what I've been doing because it's working out great. It's working out really, really great. Anyway, sorry, gosh, that went way off a tangent, but someone out there needs to hear that. That could make somebody's life better, possibly, as it has been mine. So let's get into, you know, the episode. Well, let's get into housekeeping. Um, again, the now infamous housekeeping. Um, first of all, y'all, I didn't realize with all the stuff that's been going on, with school being as crazy as it is, with the Ozarks um, Home and Recreation Expo, the, all this stuff going down, I've been working so hard behind the scenes, y'all, trying to get together all this material to get out there and get our banners together. And you've seen some of that stuff as it's come in. I've shared it with you guys over on TikTok and Instagram. Super exciting stuff. But I kind of forgot that October is about to happen. We got spooky season coming up. Y'all may remember if you've been with me a while or if you've binged through most of our episodes, I had five episodes last year that were all about the uh, esoteric, the other side of things, spooky stuff, stuff that I absolutely love. And October was just an opportunity, basically excuse for me to get to talk about other things that I care about and kind of blend them together with my love of the outdoors. This year, there's not going to be five episodes. I can tell you that there's going to be one. There will be one that will drop early so that it happens for the weekend of October 31st. That's just the way the calendar has fallen for Halloween weekend or Samhain, depending on what you like to celebrate. Um, but there's only going to be one. And I'm not yet sure what I'm going to talk about. I may do kind of like the last episode of last year where I go down, go through the Internet and the Reddit boards and find some really cool, creepy stories about things that have happened to people out there. But you know what I'd rather do? And the reason I'm talking about this right now. If any of you have stories of things that have happened to you while you were on overnight hikes or camping trips or way back in the backcountry, if you've ever experienced anything even remotely creepy, even down to like just really disconcerted feelings that made you hack out in the middle of the night, anything at all, or sometimes even if it's just a mundane explanation that you found out after it was over with and it was all funny, doesn't matter. If you've got any spooky stories, mywaywardstory at gmail.com. Send them to me. If you want, I will tell your story on the air. I would love to have an entire listener submitted episode of your stories. So somebody did share a story with me recently, not to be shared on the show necessarily, but a really good friend of the show that she has been with me from a long, long time ago from the YouTube channel when I went to the Nanawaya Mound in Mississippi. Um, and she is of Chata Heritage. And she wrote on that YouTube channel, you know, like, she, she interacted with me and we've like interacted since. So anyway, 
really, really cool human being living down there in Texas. And she's a good friend of the show. And she emailed me basically because she just needed to share a story. You know, that whole we've talked about that sharing facilitates healing. We hadn't heard from her in several months. And I get this email the other day that just hit me in the gut because she's like, hey, I'm just catching back up on the show. Essentially, um, here back around July, our house burned all of it, everything lost everything. Um, fortunate to come away with their lives, come away with all their dogs and their families and everyone's limbs intact, tact, but they lost everything and it was rough. But the reason I'm telling you this story tonight is two reasons. One, I want to shout her out and just send all the good vibes and all of you guys out there, just focus all your good vibes for a second and send them down towards that great big state of Texas. They'll find their way to where they need to go. Um, And number two, because she said something in there that I feel bears sharing with you guys. And that is, she was going through and she was, she was having her cathartic moment. And that is the proper use of the term cathartic. As you'll recall, I was using it incorrectly several episodes ago and I had corrected myself. She's using it correctly, emoting in order to facilitate getting stuff out. And it's a therapeutic type of thing. But in the middle of her writing this big, long email telling me the whole story and how it's affected her, she said, don't ever tell someone who's just lost everything to just be thankful that they're alive to essentially count your blessings. Just be thankful you survived. Y'all, there is so much truth in that. Because you remember how I told you it used to just irk me. We talked about it in the, I think, When Life Hands You Lemons episode about that, you know, just count your blessings. How how it is so dismissive. And it literally does nothing to help someone who is going through hell. They're still miserable. And you literally did just nothing except, honestly, probably pee them off a little bit. Okay? Because it is hard to look at someone who has lost nothing. Tell you who has just lost everything. It'll be okay. Just be thankful. No, there are better ways. Y'all, just consider this alternate point of view. Because I know it puts us in an awkward situation when something happens to someone like this, right? Because we can't empathize if we've never lost everything and say a house fire. We can't. We literally cannot get on their level and feel what they have felt. So what do you say? Because you do feel for them. We have sympathy. We have empathy. You do feel for them. And we don't know what to say. We don't know what to do. So it probably just comes off as the top of our head is like, hey, man, just count your blessings. At least you guys survived. We're trying to be decent, but it doesn't sound that way to the person who's going through hell. Here, let me offer you an alternative way to consider and look at these things. A better thing to say is, I am so, so, so sorry. I cannot even begin to understand or fathom what this must be like. How can I help? As opposed to dismissing it with a, hey, I'm going to try to empathize with you in this moment and then walk away and forget about it. It is. It's dismissive. Try a different tact. Just say, I can't begin to understand and I am so sorry. What can I do to help? And if it was is within my power to help, I will do whatever I am able to do. Just something to consider, guys. I wanted to talk about it because I wanted to shout her out, but I think what she said is so potent and is is applicable to all of us. All of us can use that at some points in our life. So we're going to leave it with that. And just, y'all, something to consider. And SJ, 
thank you for being a listener for all this time. I appreciate you so very much and your interactions. You're one of the few that have interacted with me from so, so long ago. Again, I am so sorry. As I told you in the email, what can I do from this far away? But if there is, I'll do it in a heartbeat. If I'm capable, able, and it's in my power. And for all the rest of you, send the vibes, man. Put together some good vibes and send them her and her family's way. Anyway, moving on from there. Uh, yesterday, I do. I want to tell you on air quick story because this all this is all podcast stuff. We're going to get into the search and rescue aspect of tonight's show. Um, as you saw in the title, we're going to talk about some more search and rescue. But yesterday I went on a little drive. I went on a day trip this weekend because I had all this recording to do. I had a bunch of homework still to do. But I went on a little day trip and I went up into Joplin, up southern Missouri. It's only a couple of hours from me. And I went on a mission because maybe you guys have seen cards like these. Now, if you're listening, what this is in my hand is a rat card. It is basically the tourist information card you'll see at most travel centers or in touristy type of destination places where it's like, come see the Presley show or come to historic downtown Eureka Springs or what the heck ever. I had this brilliant idea that I needed to print up a bunch of rat cards like this. It just says long drive across the top and then has my logo in the middle, the Wayward Stories podcast. A lot of people with a lot of long drives. So I had this brilliant idea to order these. And I went up to Joplin yesterday and drove around Southern Missouri, just checking out their awesome back roads, enjoying my new Subaru Crosstrack, which I freaking love to drive y'all. Oh my God. I love driving it so much. Um, and just getting out, getting out of the house and something to do. And I did, I went and hit up a bunch of the travel stops up there and I found the ones that would let me put these rat cards out on some of their actual tourist information. Once I found out state welcome centers, they ain't about that. You got to fill out a whole thing and submit for, which I'm going to with the state of Arkansas, because so much of this podcast is Arkansas content, but um, you can do it at a lot of travel centers because they service it themselves. And if you're nice to them and you walk up and you don't act like a jerk, you might just get these guys in there. And so I'm going on this guerrilla marketing spree, right? And I was like, it's a good reason to get out. But man, I just like, y'all, it was so much fun. Like getting out the Southern, the, the plains, the Ozark plateau up on the higher part of the plateau on the Ozark plateau above the Ozark mountains. When you get into Southern Missouri, there's so much beautiful scenery up there. Y'all there's lots of prairie type grass and fields. Cause you're really up on a plateau. You're in, in kind of the higher plains type of ecosystem. It's a little bit where it's transitioning off into Kansas and Oklahoma, where it is more of a plain style scenario. You're kind of in a foothill situation. There's some beautiful drives around Joplin back in the woods. Um, and I'm cruising down the road, y'all. I'm like, I got the top, like, I usually have a sunroof in this Subi. I've got the sunroof open. I got the windows down. I'm cruising down the highway. And yesterday, it's been like five years since I listened to much to music. You know, divorces have a way of doing a thing to some people. And I was one of them where music was no longer the place I needed to be. That's where my love of podcast, where this podcast came from is after I discovered podcast, I needed something that wasn't music. Cause all music is about love, life, loss, all those things. Um, so I haven't listened a lot, but yesterday I was like, you know what? It is a sunny Saturday afternoon. And I went back in time about two decades. I went back to my growing up. I was found me a station on Amazon music and I was listening to holy crap, like seven, Mary three. Oh God. Soundgarden, All that really, really great Pearl jam alternative stuff. Oh, and STP. Like I had a whole moment listening to again, uh, this is one of the greatest songs of all time. And my, my personal opinion, interstate love song, stone temple pilots. I'm cruising down this back road 
little bitty county back road in Missouri, and I'm kicking along. Got the windows down, got the sunroof open, and Lady Clementine, this bright orange Subaru, and I go blowing by this family sitting in their yard, like, and it's grandma and grandpa and the kids, and they're having like a Saturday afternoon. It almost looked like an Easter egg hunt, but we're nowhere near Easter. They were just having a good old country family get together. And I go by and I'm like singing at the top of my lungs. I'm like, leaving on a southern train only yesterday. And I look over and they're all turned and they're looking right at me. And I was like, oh crap. And I can just hear in my mind the conversation they must have been having as I drove by. I can just see the little boy looking. I'm like, Grandpa, what was that? And him just looking down and going, well, well, Sonny, that there was a midlife crisis. I don't know. Whatever they were thinking, I am sure I looked like an absolute lunatic going by and Lady Clementine, bright orange, singing at the top of my lungs with the windows down. If it's a midlife crisis, I don't even know. I call it, you know what? It's a mid midlife evolution. That's what we're going to call it. But anyway, I want to tell you that story because, again, it goes back to last week's episode and something I keep preaching to you guys. Don't wait to live your life. Just because you can't go on that seven-day cruise right now, you can't go take your attempt at Everest, you can't go to Belize or what the heck ever, don't just sit and look at it and like it on Instagram. Get out and live what there is to live while it's here to live. I saw this great quote the other day on social media somewhere, and, it, and it's totally pertinent, 100%. And it was like, one of the greatest tragedies is the person who spends their whole top life doing nothing, waiting for when they have more time and more money, because that day may never come. Live your life now. Go out with what is available to you, with what funds you do have. I mean, really, that has become the core theme of this show is encouraging you guys to live your life right now in the here and now. No, it doesn't look as grandiose and wondrous and exotic as maybe we'd all like it to. Do I want to go travel around Europe? That would be pretty awesome. Probably never going to happen in my life. That's just reality. But why should that stop me from going and doing things right here? You know, that's what yesterday was. It was a great little adventure to get me out of the house. And I went and saw some beautiful, beautiful Ozark Mountain Plateau Plains and and freaked out a nice little country family with a blazing orange Subaru flying by and some weirdo singing its worst impersonation of Scott Weiland at the top of his lungs. That was fun for me. That was fun for me. And it can be fun for you, too. You guys, you got to get out. You got to live your lives. So let's actually get into tonight's show, um, the actual subject of tonight's show. I know you guys get so frustrated with me, some of you do, about how long housekeeping is. But all of it's, for the most part, pertinent. This podcast is about the outdoors, but it's also about sharing my life experiences because it was other people, me listening to other people tell their stories that helped me start to evolve myself and not go down the rabbit hole and stay there forever and die. Okay. It was hearing other people sharing their experiences that got me here doing this. And that's the goal of this is to share my stuff with you because it's just another voice in an ever growing chorus of people who are learning that sharing facilitates better lives for everyone. So this podcast, yeah, it's, it's couched in the great outdoors, but it's so much more than that to me. And so anyway, I do apologize if I've run any of you off and you're like, where's the search and rescue out in this episode? Well, it's coming at you right now. Um, 
what are we going to talk about as far as search and rescue is concerned? They have been extremely popular episodes, all the ones I've done before. Um, and this is going to be, I think, titled probably Volume 3. Tonight's just like a little bit of a potpourri, if you will, of a couple of different things. This is going to be a little bit more about really just the the reality of search and rescue for most people in search and rescue. This is going to be a couple of stories of things that we've done recently. Um, and I, I got to thinking about this earlier. I was like, you know, a lot of people probably see that when they're searching because there's not a lot of podcasts out there about search and rescue. If there's any at all, I haven't seen any. And they probably come here and they're like, ooh, I can't wait. And they're probably thinking like some kind of like Sierra, Sierra Nevada mountain rescue or Rocky Mountain this or that. Y'all, that's not the reality of search and rescue 98% of the time. There are only a handful of professional, dedicated search and rescue teams and people that get paid to do it. And the every day of their life is search and rescue and crazy, chaotic, high angle rescue stories. That's a tiny, tiny fraction of percentage of search and rescue in the whole world, like in the Himalayas, in the Rockies. Like there are very few places that are so extreme that they literally mandate or not mandate, but require a dedicated search and rescue team. Yosemite is one of those. There's some places like that tiny fraction. Unfortunately, I don't get to be that guy as much as I'd love to. So I don't get to make a whole podcast. that's just awesome, crazy, psychotic rescue stories that will blow your mind. I don't have those. I've got some pretty cool ones, but really this is the realities of what search and rescue is for the everyday general volunteer who's out there doing it in their free time after work with the money out of their own pockets to buy their own gear and get their own training. Um, this is what it's more like in real life. We do all the professional things just like they do. We do high angle rescue. We do low angle rescue. We just don't have that many opportunities to do it because we're not in the Rocky Mountains. You know what I mean? And we're not as busy as those places. The more people you throw at a mountain face, the more people that are going to get hurt and fall and get into bad situations. We're not as popular. It's a numbers game. So the reality of search and rescue is for us is we get to do a lot of awesome training. We do get to do rescues. We had one recently, had to have the air evac. We talked about it in the last episode, I think, or sometime recently um, when we went and we did the pre-planning, which is what we're going to talk about tonight. The reason we went there is because a guy went off a 40 foot cliff. Like he fell, he was out there on a side by side, but he fell off a cliff looking around, had to get out there, do a high angle rescue um, and then get him down the mountain to uh, to a bird and get him the air evac and get him to a hospital somewhere. We have rescues like that. I was not involved in that one, unfortunately. So I can't sit here and tell you about it. All I can tell you is about the stuff that we do. And one thing I have been a part of that we're going to talk about tonight, it will be the entire second half of the episode. Most likely is a pre-planning trip that we took to that very area. This is about the same episode when I did the hiking bell star, um, cave, this is the pre-planning aspect of that. This is the search and rescue aspect of that very same trip. The reason we were there to start with. And this gives you a peek behind the curtain and what it turns out so many people enjoy about the search and rescue episodes as I'm hearing from everyone is essentially, it's just really cool to see what y'all do, what you actually do. Like we know we have this perception, but I had no idea that you used formulas you know, for probability of detection. And, and we had no idea that it was so actually refined into a science and it's more science than art. We're used to, you just threw a bunch of bodies out there walking around and it, you know, it, it wasn't the most efficient way to save people. Now it's different. 
smart minds have put together studies and all of these different things and search and rescue is a different world now. And that's what apparently you guys like to hear is just, Hey, what really goes on? What do y'all really do? And I always use these cause I hope they're recruitment tools. We want more of you involved. I would love to have every single person that's a hiker involved with search and rescue. That would make the world a whole lot better place. And all of you guys would get a lot more out of it. And that's part of these episodes. Here's some of the fun stuff we do. Like I see we're pushing within like five or six minutes of the break. So instead of partially starting into that, let's talk about a little short, quick story, search and rescue story I can tell. And then we'll take that and segue into the break and we'll come back and come into the bigger pre-planning part of the episode. Something else that's happened in recent memory is this is a fun one. See, there is some really fun stuff you get to do in search and rescue. Then it's all public service. And this is what makes it to me, search and rescue so great and so much fun is because there is something about getting out there, working your tail off, getting sweaty, gross, chiggers, you get ticks, you get all that stuff that stinks, but like you're out there, you're sweating your butt off. You come back though, when you're done, you feel a sense of satisfaction that that, that's really unrivaled. Like there's not really a way to even describe how good it feels to work yourself, to get out there and put yourself through the ringer for someone else's good. And that's a whole thing. Part of search and rescue is you're out there to help someone else. And there's no real other good reason. You're not getting paid for it. You're not getting any glory for it. You sure ain't making the front page of newspapers. That's always the guys that do the last mile part that get them onto the ambulance. It's always the ambulance driver that sat in their ambulance waiting for the dude to show up that gets the pictures taken of him. It's never the people that went down there in the trenches and did the grunt work unless the ambulance driver did that. And in some cases they do not to take away from them. And I am not bad on EMTs. I don't want y'all got you guys' job. Y'all, y'all are a special breed of people and I respect you immensely. So don't even think I was bagging on you, but it is the truth of the matter. It's whoever does the last mile after other people have done all the hard work to get in a newspaper. There is no glory for search and rescue 99.9% of the time. You do it because you love it. You do it because you're serving someone and it's good for you. It is good for us to take care of people and take care of each other. And it's good for us to work out. And it is a workout. Search and rescue, wilderness, backcountry search and rescue is one hell of a workout. Um, We can do all kinds of fun stuff. Like some things, this one wasn't search and rescue related at all. But we did the Sebastian County Fair here just a couple of weeks ago. What we did is we provided overnight security. And then we also provided security during the event. Because believe it or not, they don't like have hired security there. So we kind of walk around. It's not like we have guns or anything, but we walk around and just, you know, we wear our uniforms and that adds a a level of legitimacy and professionalism. And it's like, you know, we broke up several fights over the course of that week. That's young men, young men and young ladies. You want to talk about throwing some hands, man. They just, people are just, they just angry at each other. So we broke up several fights. Um, two years ago, you remember we talked about, we helped, we had a medical emergency with a pregnant woman. We got the help with that. But what that means is we get to go hang out at the county fair. We don't even have to pay to get in. What do we do all night? We wandered the midways talking to people. We wandered the midways helping if something needed to be helped with. And again, breaking up fights. We got to look for a couple of people. We had a, uh, we were standing around at the incident command post and we were just talking Like we were not back out to make any rounds or anything yet. We were sitting around talking and a lady comes up behind me and she grabs my shoulder and she's like, Hey, we can't find my granddaughter. And it was like a thing of beauty guys. The way that we responded was such a thing of beauty. Cause that's why you train 
that's why you do the things you do is for those little moments. Like number one, it was not an extremely serious situation. There's only one way in and one way out of that fair. Okay. It was at that moment where it's like, okay, she is lost here somewhere in the fair, but just, I was so proud of our whole team that was actually there that night because I'm talking without a word. One of the guys who's one of my co-team leads, he went straight into the trailer and he was already back out with the radios. He didn't, no one had to tell him to do anything. He knew what to do. He went and made sure every single team member had a radio. At that point, only a couple of us did. Got everyone a radio. While he's doing that, we both say to the woman, okay, okay, well, what does she look like? What is she wearing? And we start immediately getting the proper information. And she goes, well, here, I have a picture. And she shows us the picture. And I was like, I noticed that the girl had face paint on. And so I said, oh, is that from today? Is that actually her today? And she's like, yeah, I just took this an hour ago. So we took our phones and took pictures of her picture. So we had this little girl, this picture of her right in front of us. So we knew what we were looking for. And it was perfect because you got face paint. Like there are so many indicators that make it easier to find her. Everyone flowed seamlessly. We looked over. We had one of the members go straight to the gate. No little girls walk out that gate without knowing their name and making sure they're with parents. And go work with the gate attendants. No one goes out those gates with a little girl that's, that looks like her. And he's got the picture as well. We get it to his phone. One of the other people, they went up. They went up to the cell barn. There was three of us left. So we went down the three midways. We split up. The grandma stayed with me. And we walked down this other midway. And we actually found the little girl just within a few short minutes down there further. It's a funny story in the end. Because what had happened is she got off the old tilt-a-whirl. And was sick, and she went and found a private place to vomit because the bathrooms were nowhere near close. She was only eight or nine years old, and she just took off to go go upchuck all those barbecue nachos she had been eating. And um, they couldn't find her, so they start looking around, and they just got separated just like that. So it was super simple. It was funny in the end because this poor little girl's just back there throwing her guts up somewhere because she got on the tilt a whirl after eating too many nachos, but. This is the kind of things that Search and Rescue gets you involved in. You get to go do fun stuff. We've got National Night Out coming up. National Night Out's a big deal. It's for first responders, police, fire, EMS, Search and Rescue. You go set up all your cool gear. You know, a lot of times here in Fort Smith, it's at Chick-fil-A. I don't know where it is everywhere. But National Night Out, Night Out's a big deal. The firemen got their fire trucks out there. The National Guard will have a Hummer out there. The police have their police car and a canine out there because everyone wants to pet the dog. Search and Rescue, we try to take out rope gear, ascending gear, whatever. And it's just a chance for kids. It's National Night Out, families and kids. Like, that's coming up. And that's one of my favorite events every single, single year. I can't wait for this year. It's this here in just a couple of weeks. Um, these kind of events are things that you get involved in public service and especially search and rescue because all y'all listen to me or you, you're outdoors people, you get to do all these neat things and be a part of your community and a servant to your community. But all the while you're getting training that aids you and your backcountry pursuits. It's just a win, win, win. It's a win for everyone. I absolutely love it. Um, Anyway, so we've, we told that little story and we did, we've rolled on to our 30 minutes now. So we're going to go ahead and take our break. And when we come back, I'm going to tell you a little bit about pre-planning. What is pre-planning? I'm going to tell you what we did, what we do, why we do it. And we're going to get into that. And that'll be the whole second half of the show. We will catch you guys on the other side of the break. What is up? All of you wayward souls. I want to tell you guys about our newest sponsor, Bendetti Optics. 
a brand based right here in the good old US of A, Portland, Oregon, to be exact. And I bought my first pair of Bendetti sunglasses about a year and a half ago and fell in love with them so much so that I got online and ordered a couple more pair. And when I did, there was a small shipping snafu, an order fulfillment snafu, and I got on the phone, gave them a call, and guess what? I get a call back from who? One of the big men themselves, right there in Portland from the top of the chain, have a great conversation, and we end up starting this great relationship we have. They more than made right, the little snafu that occurred, and I am now a huge proponent of them because I can tell you from personal experience, they are good people, and they are trying to compete with the big boys out there coming in at a price point of about $40, but using the exact same frame material, TR90, and the same polarization process as the big guys. As it turns out, something I think we are already probably knew in our hearts, when you buy big name sunglasses, you're buying a big name, not necessarily any more quality than you can get somewhere else, like at Ben Daddy Optics. They have 29 different styles. They have multiple polarization options for whatever climate you happen to live in. And they back it up with like this lifetime guarantee that if your dog eats your sunglasses, it doesn't matter how you break them, send it back in with a check to cover shipping and handling and you're golden. You got a new pair on the way. These guys are truly trying to do it right. And they have this philosophy that a really good pair of sunglasses should not cost you so much that you are afraid to wear them. And I think all of us outdoorsmen can relate to that. So if you guys, like me, are very practical and like to get more bang for your buck and wear some great looking sunglasses, check out BendettiOptics.com. That's B-E-N-D-E-T-T-I, Optics.com. Or you can go over to Instagram slash BendettiOptics. And that I highly suggest, whether you buy a pair or not, just to check out the cutest pupper you'll ever see modeling sunglasses. Once again, that's BendettiOptics.com. And make sure and let them know Wayward Stories sent you. What's up, guys? I want to tell you about tonight's sponsor, the Ozarks Home and Outdoor Recreation Expo. It's being held at Rogers Convention Center in Rogers, Arkansas, October 21st through the 23rd of this year. This show is for all of us outdoor enthusiasts, and it's going to feature exhibitors and vendors that specialize in the products and destinations that tailor to all of our outdoor predilections. So if you guys are in the market for your next big kid toy or a new piece of gear, or you just want to find some ideas for your next adventure, or maybe you want to rub elbows with all of your fellow outdoors people, we're all going to be there. I'm going to be there all weekend, all three days, Friday through Sunday, daylight to dark, at my booth, we're going to be giving away t-shirts, sunglasses, stickers from Bendetti Optics. We're going to be giving away some handmade tactical gear for hiking and search and rescue applications from another great friend of the show, Solomon Dry Goods. It's going to be a whole event, y'all. This is a statewide thing. It's a big deal, and y'all need to get out and check it out. If you happen to be an exhibitor or a vendor, if you want to secure for yourself a space at the expo to let people know you're around, send me an email at mywaywardstory at gmail.com. Once again, we're talking about the Ozarks Home and Outdoor Recreation Expo, Rogers Convention Center, Rogers, Arkansas, October 21st through the 23rd of this year. I hope to see all of you there. And welcome back. Thank you guys for sticking around through the break. So let's get into pre-planning. What, Justin, is pre-planning, you may ask? Pre-planning is, well, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's pre-planning. It's preventative maintenance. It is preparatory work. Y'all, that's one of those things, like everyone, you know, gets off on joking about the doomsday preppers and all that, but preparation's a real part of life. 
I, I've thought about before. Heck, one of the possible things I thought about doing before this show became what it is, is I thought about making one called The Practical Prepper. Um, just talking about how actual real life, everyday preparations, being practical with it, is actually makes your life really, really way better, way easier. Um, and you absorb things a whole lot more. When crappy stuff comes your way, it's easier to absorb the blow if you're kind of prepared for it. Like practical preparations are a big part of my life. We talked about that in a previous episode where I talked about I was like a little prepper before I even knew what one was, before we even had Y2K. And that was just brought on by life circumstance. When no one else has got your back, the logical, rational person is going to be like, I'm the only person that has my back. So how do I absorb and handle things when they come my way without them taking me out. Well, pre-planning is practical preparation in the world of search and rescue. Um, if you think about it, our country does it in so many ways. Why do we have so much military? Why do we have so much this? Why do we have so much that it's, it's to absorb when we have, you know, say we had an existential threat. A lot of it's a deterrent. People don't mess with us so much. Because we, they know that's not a good idea. But also, why do we have FEMA? Things that got such a bad rap. You know, what if there hadn't even been a FEMA? You gotta think about stuff like that. Why do we have FEMA? Hurricane Katrina was a big deal. Every time we have a giant hurricane, there has to be a way to respond to it. And you guys have no freaking idea. The nightmare it is to coordinate just a tiny number of people at a tiny incident. Can you imagine doing it? On a statewide scale, on a semi-nationwide scale, like, you know, Hurricane Katrina wasn't just Louisiana, though. They took the brunt. Mississippi got hammered. Like, it extended further inland than most any hurricane ever had. Like, when you get big events like that, it takes multiple agencies. We're talking at, like, federal, state, local levels. It takes, I mean, even in some countries... You know, the U.S., we're pretty good at handling our own business because we just spend so much money on this kind of crap. But a lot of countries, they have something like how many earthquakes in Chile are there, you know, or Honduras or whatever, like international aid comes into play. Can you imagine, like, have you ever tried to like handle like a whole party of, you know, five-year-olds having a birthday party? Imagine that on a massive scale. Everything is preparatory. Everything is preparation so it can deploy at a moment's notice, be on site and up and running as fast as possible. And you have to coordinate that crap. It's not easy. It's kind of a nightmare, to be honest. Well, that's what pre-planning is and what we do in search and rescue is you get really high density areas where it's like, okay, stuff's going to happen here because it always does. Why does it always like let's take Franklin County, for example. I use them a lot. They're an amazing search and rescue team. They're very professional. Some of the most professional volunteer search and rescue members I've ever met in my life. They're an incredible team and they need to be because they're in a county here in this state, here in Arkansas, they have the Mulberry River. We have multiple drownings every year on the Mulberry River because everyone goes like, hey, we got to go to the river and party, but they don't realize the Mulberry is a legitimate class two whitewater rapid river. When the levels are right, there are even some rapids that can touch three. Okay. It's not the Colorado River in, or it's not the Arkansas River in Colorado. It's not the Colorado River in the Grand Canyon, but it's legitimate. 
hydraulics are for real. Strainers are for real at any size or level of water. Okay. The Mulberry River, super popular. There's multiple drownings every year. There's swift water rescues every year. They have all, they have a huge portion of the Ozark Highland Trail. So people are doing what they call waterfalling now. Everyone's got to go hike and get a picture of the, you know, this, this waterfall in the state and Franklin County has way more than their fair share. They have a crap ton. This is what I've been seeing on their Facebook page. The most here lately is side-by-side accidents because they've got a bunch of side-by-side OHV trails. Um, they have to be, and they are good, but this is why you pre-plan is because they know this waterfall. We've had five people fall off of this waterfall, the whole 50 feet or 70 feet in the last seven years. We've had five people. That is an incredibly high number. So what does pre-planning entail for them? It can entail a lot of things. Number one, like there wasn't a good access. I remember this story specifically. They had a waterfall that they did not have a good access for a side-by-side, a mule, something to transport a patient out that's been severely injured. So they went and they cut a trail through the woods from the closest access point. Okay. They go, they hit the GPS coordinates. You put in GPS coordinates. They preset anchors in the rock face to do their high angle and their low angle rescues where they most likely were going to need. You go out there and you assess the situation. Why are people falling? And if you can address that, you do, you know, flag it, tape it off, you know, don't not. And I don't mean like tape it off, like do not pass this line. That's, you know, against the principles of the national forest. A lot of times there won't even be railing because it'll inhibit the natural beauty. There's a fine line that the national parks and the state parks and the national forest, they have to walk between destroying what's there to protect the people that go, because some of it is implicitly implied that you should be smart enough not to fall off a cliff. That, that sounds a little harsh and cold, but you really should. If there's a cliff there, you trying to take a selfie with your feet hanging over it. I've seen so many selfies like that. It is incumbent upon you not to fall off of cliffs. No one owes it to you to keep you from falling off a cliff. Like that's, that's on you. You took yourself there and then you stood on the edge where you stood. You got to be careful guys. You have to be careful. Maybe, maybe like that wouldn't be a sanctioned. Like if I actually worked for the federal government or the state government or even the local government, I might not be able to put that in those terms, but I'm Justin on the wayward stories podcast. I will be real with you. It is on you. If you fall off of a cliff, if your child falls off of a cliff, it's on you because you need to keep them away from the cliff. Guys, that's what we do for our children because we love them, right? I watched a person, I just mentioned going to Cossetot in a day trip in the very last episode. And what I didn't say in that episode is that hydraulic that I was describing to you that I stood right next to and how it was just mesmerizing. It was like a real life lava lamp. Do you remember that? Before I got my turn to stand there, there was a family standing on that rock and they had like a three-year-old that was standing there playing and they were with him. I'm not saying they were being negligent, but just the fact that nobody had a hold of his shirt or his hand told me they don't know the power of a hydraulic. A child that small and a body that small, as soon as he squats down and loses his balance because he's three and he doesn't have great balance, he goes into the hydro, he's not coming out. It, I was terrified. I was over there literally having like heart attacks because at that time, it wasn't that long since my daughter had been that age and she wasn't much older than that at that moment. And I was just in my head. I was seeing her standing next to that. And I'm like, how are you people not freaking out? Like that kid, you get closer to him in my head. You know, I'm not telling him, but it's like, get closer to him, get a hold of him because all he had to do was slip. 
And it was that simple and it was that easy. He could have just slipped in and that would have been the end of everything. Like, it is incumbent upon you to care for your children as well. Again, real Justin, not, I don't get paid by the county to be on the search and rescue team. This is being real. It's on you, homie. Don't fall off a cliff. But people are going to. That's the reality. They are going to. So we go and we pre-plan the areas to make the quickest access to get the quickest extraction and to get you off of that mountain as fast as we possibly can because every second matters when you are hemorrhaging. Like, you guys, if you break your leg, if you break your femur, you got a femoral artery. You got like three minutes if that artery gets severed or nicked. You, I'm talking like legit three minutes. That's why I think every single hiker on this planet should have a cat tourniquet in their backpack and know how to use it. Guys, it's not rocket science. You can watch videos. I need to make one for the YouTube channel. As a matter of fact, you wrap it above the, the bleed and you turn it until it quits bleeding. It's really that simple. And then you tie it off. You lock it off like cat tourniquets. That's the only part you need to learn is how to cinch it into place and where it'll stay. But the bottom line is you break your femoral artery, which is not out of the question at all. When you're hiking, if you fall off a 30 foot cliff or a 10, gosh, you could step wrong and fall off a five or six foot bluff. And if you land on your leg wrong, you could easily snap your femur. Okay. You will bleed out in a few minutes. Okay. You can fashion a belt or a t-shirt if whoever's with you has some wherewithal, or maybe you just need to put that in your brain so you can tell someone if it ever happens to you, like, give me your shirt, like tie this dude off, but just have a cat tourniquet. They're like 25, 30 bucks. They're less than that. Get a cat tourniquet. You can even sign up with the Red Cross and you can go for a few dollars. You can go take a stop the bleed. Okay. Or get involved in search and rescue better the freak yet get involved in search and rescue and you'll get stop the bleed training at some point. You know what I mean? And then they'll show you, but just get a tourniquet, carry it with you. But this is why, because when you're losing blood or you have broken your neck or your back, God forbid, or you've crushed your skull to some degree, that was something that happened in the last four to five years here locally. That was a really ugly, ugly deal. Every second counts. So why do we pre-plan to get there as fast as possible? Cause let me tell you something. Somebody falls off a cliff for the first time. Well, okay, how do we get there? What's the closest access points? What are the closest access roads? Can we even get to where they are without a two-mile hike? Did they hike in two miles? Do we have to hike in two miles? That happens all the freaking time. Okay, every bit of that takes time. So if you go somewhere where you know people are going to get hurt because they have before, or it just the odds are just in the favor of that happening, go pre-plan it. You figure it out. You cut trails if you need to for your side-by-side. You set anchors if you need to, just like Franklin County does. They're very good at that. So that is essentially the idea of pre-planning. Pre-planning goes a lot farther than that, though. And that's what we were looking into with our pre-plan of the Bell Star Cave Trail. And essentially, actually, this whole section of Poto Mountain. Okay, Poto Mountain Wilderness. It's at the very southern section. It's the whole southern border of our st- of Sebastian County and the border with Scott County. And Poto Mountain Road, as a matter of fact, is this county line for a decent section of that border. We have this little nugget size. And this, when I say nugget, we're talking hundreds of square miles, but in the big scheme of things that we are responsible for, we have a little, you know, bite size portion of that mountain that is lined by Poto mountain road to the South 
Highway 71 South to the east, and then the road that comes off of Poto Mountain Road, which I don't remember the road number now. It's a county road. It's dirt road. But that lines essentially the state lines over here, and it kind of cuts along that line, and then the, the mountain actually drops down into the valley, the Arkansas River Valley. So we have this like little bite-sized chunk, and it's like we can absolutely pre-plan every single inch of that because, it, I mean, it gives itself to that. It's a nice contained area. It's not like an amorphous blob that it's like, well, how do we even approach this? So it has been on our radar because I realized a couple of years ago, I saw people were going to this Bell Star Cave trail. And because I'm a history nerd, I was like, wait, Bell Star Cave in Sebastian County? What? And I looked into it and that's the first time I realized, I think I mentioned that in the Bell Star episode, that that was in Sebastian County, that we had mountains in our county. Because in my brain, for all these years, we just kind of ended at about Mansfield, which means nothing to most of you, especially you overseas listeners and out-of-state listeners, but it just kind of ended around that area, Greenwood, Mansfield, Huntington, whatever. Because to me, Scott County was the Washtos. I just had no idea because we'd never had a reason to be down there. We hadn't had anyone fall off a cliff. We hadn't had anyone going missing there in my short tenure at that time with Search and Rescue, you know? Um... And when I grew up, I grew up in Oklahoma. And then the first 10 years of my life in Arkansas, I wasn't in search and rescue, you know, over here in Fort Smith. So like, it just didn't never made it into my world. I didn't know. And I saw that and I realized, and I was like, yo guys, we got this whole section of mountain. We could pre-plan. This is a way to get us active. This is something, a great training opportunity. Let's get busy. So it sat on the back burner for a while. Um, and then we had that guy on the side by side with his family and he got off that thing to stretch his legs and look around on a bluff and the rocks gave out from under him. That's something to be careful about with a cliff faces. Guys, they can collapse under your weight. And it did. And he went down and he injured himself fairly severely. And there had to be a whole thing. And Greenwood City was there. They did the high angle. Some of our team members got to go. I did not. I was at work when it happened. But we had some of our team members that were able to respond. And yet they had to do an extraction. They had to package a patient. They had to rope him out of there. It was a whole thing. It was a technical rope rescue. And then they had to cart him down that whole stinking mountain. Okay. To get him to the OHV trail that he had used to get to where he was and put him in a bird. They got the air evac there and it was waiting. But do you know, that took a lot of time. And that was kind of the final straw for me. I was like, guys, we got to do it. We got to get out here and start pre-planning. We need the GPS coordinates. We need to figure out where we can place an incident command in the case of, say, a missing hunter or a hiker or whatever. We need to figure out our closest ins and outs. We need to know what all trails, what all roads, what all anything is inside this little area. And that was the uh, impetus to actually go ahead and take action on getting that pre-plan in place. Again, when you're a volunteer search and rescue team and everyone has real lives, it's like a volunteer firefighter in so many ways. You have jobs, you have lives, your paycheck comes from somewhere else. This is what you do with your free time. Volunteer search and rescue teams are like that. So there's not a whole lot of time to make stuff happen. You know, you get training opportunities when you can make them. I've missed way more than I've made. God, there's so many trainings that I want desperately that I haven't been able to make make because for some reason, like, I don't know why, but people like to do their training during the week. It's like, you guys understand we have jobs, right? Like everyone in search and rescue has a job. Yeah, I, I, I can make it Wednesday, Thursday and Friday. Not 
okay, you know, I, we had a, a WUFA wilderness first aid class, and that's a prereq to a woofer, which is wilderness first responder, which is a higher grade, a higher level, a higher training. Um, you have to have WUFA first. And that was held recently. And I probably go to made it because I'm back off the road with, you know, big purple. I'm back here at home trying to live a normal life again. I probably could have made it, but it was on Thursday and Friday. Like, okay, yeah, because I can afford two days off of work. Oh, right. I don't understand why they do that, but they do that. But, you know, you make the trainings you can make and you do the things you can do. Well, this it became, again, the impetus for let's OK, we need to do this. So I had that is, hey, what about we do an overnight? What if we go down and we pre-plan this dude? We'll drive every inch of the road. We will measure the mileages. We will look for the best entries, you know, the egresses. We'll look for the best or not egresses, the entrances, the egresses, the best way to get in and out. We'll we'll make GPS. We'll take GPS coordinates on Sartopo for every single trail we come across, every single side road we come across. We'll get this thing labeled out. We will literally do an overall pre-plan of the entire mountain and we will hike one of the trails. That will be our weekend. We'll actually do the down the trail pre-plan but also the bigger overview because the bigger overview is a little bit easier. You can drive for all of it. You drive around the whole area, get all the access points and figure out these are all the places we need to check out. These are all the things that we need to go in and do individual pre-plans trail by trail. Um, and then we'll also get in one of those actual pre-plans. And we started with the Bell, Car Bell Star Cave Trail because it is a crazy OHV side-by-side -side trail. And somebody's going to get hurt going down that thing. It is going to happen. Mark it down. I don't want that to happen, but it's going to. That's the reality of the situation. No joke. So we go out and we we do all of that. We we basically work our way in. We come up the dirt road. With first thing you find out, this is why you go pre-plan stuff. You're not getting any vehicles from the eastern approach, from the eastern entrance, from Highway 71 South. No vehicles are going in there except for smaller four-wheel drive vehicles with at least eight to nine inches of ground clearance. I had the Xterra still at the time. I had nine and a half inches of ground clearance, and it was not, it was not, it, it was tough. It was tough on that Xterra. And it's small wheelbase, even though it's on a truck frame, it's on like a S10 style truck frame, a real small truck frame. There were some tight squeezes in there, guys. It's, it's rock crawling to a certain degree coming in from the eastern approach. And that's why you go do it. That's the first thing we learned. Whoa, we are not getting a quick response in here from this side of the mountain. We need to know how long that drive took. And we got that. We need to know every trail that's on it. And we got those GPS points. But we also now know something even more important. We're not getting a bus in here. Incident command is definitely not coming in here. There's no way a bus is coming in here. We're not getting an ambulance in here. Anything that comes from this side, it's going to have to be small and agile and four wheel drive with a lot of ground clearance. Once you get to the Bell Star Cave Trail, really it's Slate Falls. It's another half a mile up the dirt road to the Slate Falls Trail. And that's the point where from that side to the western approach or to the western exit or entrance, however you look at it, way more drivable, way more drivable. You could probably get a, like a Nissan Altima up that road from that side. It's still dirt. It's still rocky. You would want to go slow. But my point is way, way, way more accessible. These are the things you learn when you go out and you pre-plan. And this was a big part of our trip is trying to figure out all these things. So we get out there and we drive that first section and we found our, we found our camping spot. This is the best thing. We found our camp spot 
right like on the way in on the roughest part of the trail and we found a freaking amazing campsite guys i am not kidding it was absolutely gorgeous um there was a view down into the southern valley between between poto mountain and then the winding stair mountains there's another valley and it's the poto river valley like north of the mountains you have the arkansas river valley south of the mountains you have the poto river valley and you could see waldron down there just hanging out way off in the distance down in the bottom of that valley and at night that night was amazing we had a full moon racing across the sky stars everywhere and then you could see the little street lights 15 miles away from you off in the valley way off in the distance on the horizon it was a really cool gorgeous night up there but it was a great camping spot and this is the things about search and rescue i love guys these are the things you get to do we put together this team and and only four of us got to make it it was on a weekend, but you know, people have busy lives on the weekends too. And it was like well over a hundred degrees down in the valleys. And, uh, so we were concerned it would be too hot and we were going to have to be really, really careful as it turned out. And we just talked about this in the previous episode, you know, three and a half degrees for every thousand feet. We were up a couple of thousand feet. Everyone was so concerned. It was going to be so stinking hot up there that we we're going to have people falling out from losing water. And we did lose a lot of water, a whole lot of water because of the humidity, but the temperature wasn't that bad. It was nice. I actually got chilly overnight in my hammock, but these are the things I love. There's the camaraderie in this too. Like we're up there, we've got our plans. We've, we get up there, we see what we need to see and we go ahead and set up our camp for the night. And the next day is going to be the actual trail hike, the actual pre-plan of the trail. And then we will finish pre-planning the other half of the mountain as we go out the opposite way of the way that we came in, right? So we set up camp. We put up a couple of hammocks. Um, I believe Zena and I were in hammocks, and then Amy and James slept in their tent. And we had we had the best dinner. Like it was so good. Like we got our got our fire pit going, got our grill going. Um, and I brought some steaks because why not, right? Like just some little ones, one for myself. Everyone brought their own whatever to cook. You know, it's B Y O M. Bring your own meat, whatever. But everyone brought their own food. But Zena was so kind as to bring and fry potatoes and that was an unexpected delight and i also brought some hawaiian sweet rolls so like we had this hella dinner y'all we had this incredible dinner that night those are the moments in life that you cherish i'm sitting at this camp spot way back in the wilderness i'm looking at the closest town to me at approximately 14 miles distance and all i can see is the street lights from it glowing on the horizon off this amazing view this amazing overlook amidst deep beneath the pine trees. Like we were in plantation. No, they're loblolly. We were in the loblolly pines. These guys are 80, 100 feet tall, towering above us. We got this huge, just almost perfect cutout overview of the Poto River Valley below us down to the winding stair mountains. You got the closest town 14 miles away and you can just see the glow from it and some of the lights and you can see the moon coming across the sky and we're sitting there cooking steaks y'all. We're eating steak and fried taters. I am a meat and taters guy and we're sitting here having this dinner and we're talking about things that we love collectively which is search and rescue. We are going over what exactly the plan is for the next day. We're going over, okay, we need all these GPS points. We need to look for all of these trails. We need to, okay, we've come this far. Let's take notes. How long was the drive in? Let's get that written down. 
How was the road? Okay, here's our assessment of what can and cannot access this road. Like you're putting together, you're doing the administrative part. That's my EFS. That's what I do. Planning and operations. And I love it because it's analytical. It's problem solving. I get to look at this big picture and say, what can I do to make everything work? What can we put together to make everything work? And I love that. That's so my jam. That is so in my wheelhouse. It's one of the things I love the most about search and rescue. Ground pounding's great, sure. But to me, planning and operations is where it's at. Um, but anyway, so we're sitting there having this awesome dinner, this awesome camaraderie, looking at this amazing view off the mountain. If you go back to my Instagram, um, Wayward Sun 119 You'll see some pictures from that night. I think I have pictures of our hammocks up there. I have a picture of my steak and my taters. And I do believe I have a picture looking off the side of the mountain from the camp spot. Y'all, it's it's stunningly beautiful. I intend to go back. We will go back there and camp again, as a matter of fact, because that's a part of the bigger, broader pre-plan is more overnights and more trail planning. Um, but we sit there and we come up with the plan of action for the next day. And this what we decide. We're going to go do the Bell Star, Bell Star Cave trail first. And that was kind of a decision that I was really heavily in favor of and urging is let's do it first because of all these that we're going to have to do, we got to start somewhere. A B it's the first one truly down this side of the trail and B or C the name bell star cave that alone is going to attract more people than even slate falls trail. Um, because yeah, slate falls falls. Everyone wants to go see a waterfall, but bell star, huge name, iconic name. People are going to, I want to see bell stars cave without even questioning. Is it really bell stars cave? So we started with that one. And so that's what we did. We got up the next morning, we cleaned up our camps, we packed everything up and then we headed up to go do the trail. I, if you want to learn more about the bell star trail and the actual, you know, like how hard it was, how tough it was, you can go back and listen to the, uh, exploring bell scar, bell star cave trail, because that's the same story I'm telling you tonight. And I'll keep it more brief tonight because of that. But essentially what we do when we go in from a search and rescue perspective is we start at the top of the trail and we had like basically three ideas. We had three, um, mission parameters, essentially one is mapping. We're going to go down, we're going to take coordinates, we're going to get GPS coordinates, and we're going to make notes of those coordinates of dangerous sections, of possible offshoots where someone, if some say someone's lost, well, there's a trail, or there's a trail, or there's an old logging road that they could have tried to follow. We're going to take those kind of notes. Two, we're going to flag the trail fresh. We're going to take fresh orange flagging to help keep people on trail. This is more about just keeping people from getting lost to start with. And three is get all the trash out. We're going to try to take out as much trash as we can because it's part of public service. And for me, it's part of my just environmental outlook. You know, I love the planet. I love nature and I love hiking. And to me, it's just BS that people are so disrespectful of it. And, you know, that's what we did. We started down. We took our GPS coordinates. And while you're doing it, these are the things you're learning as you go that you need to learn. And, you know, for the one aspect of water accesses, water egresses, water potential danger places, water potential attractors, like you look for for high attractors so that you know where people might be going to. Oh, there's actually a waterfall off of that edge over there. Did you all see that? People figure that out. They're all going to be going to that bluff face. Like you look for those kinds of things. But also to figure out what it's going to take you to get in and out of there and what you can get in and out of there. One of the biggest things we learned is we're not getting our mule in there. 
because our mule is a workhorse to get down in there on a side-by-side and OHV vehicle and, you know, off-road vehicle and off-highway vehicle, it's going to take a bad mofo. It's going to be one of those $50,000 jobs where someone bought an expensive one, put 20 grand in suspension and upgrades and tires like that trail in places. I mean, it's like Jeep rock crawling type of territory. We're not getting our mule in there. You know what that means? If somebody gets hurt at the bottom of that trail, 972 feet of elevation lower than the road that would have access to essentially a bus, which could get us to a helicopter. You're going to carry them. That's what it's going to come down to. It's a litter job. That's one of the biggest things that we learned. And we're going to have to look into, can we get like our own little mule? Like there are personal mules, you know, things that you can litter someone out with. that has got like a tire. It's kind of like a wheelbarrow that you cart along behind you or two tires. Like we're going to look into that. Those are things we have to access, but we would not have known that until we went and did the pre-plan. No one's getting anything in here. And if you could, let's say that our mule could, let's say we got a side by side that was all jacked up and all souped up and could do all those things. You can't get a patient out of there in the back of one of those. You could strap them into it, but you would hurt them worse by trying to get them out in a vehicle bouncing and climbing. And the vehicle itself would be in danger of turning or this is one of the roughest trails I've ever taken my personal body down that I've ever seen because it's been an OHV trail and OHV trails like they literally, they have no water bars. They have not been maintained. So when it rains, they turn into creeks and then the creek washes all the dirt away. And then you just get rock piles. That's, that's the trail. It essentially turns into a creek. So consider hiking down a creek, dry creek bed and losing a thousand feet of elevation in two miles doing it. Y'all, it is, it is not moderate. All trails is so full of crap. Never, ever trust all trails. It is like, The work, y'all, it's extremely strenuous. I am in pretty darn good shape. I hike a ton. FedEx kept me in a ton of good shape. I get out there and I do. And it kicked my butt. It kicked all of our butts. Like it was climbing. There are places where it was more scrambling than hiking. We needed to know that. And you know how you know that? You go pre-plan. And you get all those GPS coordinates. And we did that. We got all the way down to the bottom. We went to the cave. You get to the bottom. You find out this. There's an awesome creek down here. We've been in a drought for three months. And there's no water anywhere. But there is cool, clear, running water in pools in this creek. That is important to know. Because that's a draw. If somebody, a hunter, per se, gets lost. There's a creek down there that has water in it. Chances are, he's going to be somewhere around that creek. Where he can drink water. That's good to know. I mean, and for other reasons, if an autistic patient, say, was down there with their family, they could be riding side by side. People take their whole families out and they do things. If you had someone that was autistic that went missing down there on a trip with their family, they always go to water like nine out of 10 times. Like the numbers support it. We know where the water is now. And that water's great to know about because now we know where we can get water if we get into a bind down there. So we found that out. You go on up to the cave and you get to explore around the cave and you can see, hey, you know, this is tall enough for someone to fall off of. This is and it's wet because there's a little waterfall that trickles over. And when it's really raining, it rains a lot and it, it runs a lot like somebody get up here checking out the cave and slip and fall and bust their head open or break a leg. You know, it doesn't take a very fall far or a very far fall. And we're getting that 
that mush brain I get towards the end of an episode. I mentioned it last time. Um, it does not take a very far fall. It does not have to be a very tall height to fall from in treacherous terrain to break a leg or an ankle. Okay. So we get to see these things. What are the attractants? Here are the attractions. Here's what we can expect. Now we know what to expect about how we have to get in and out of here. Now we know that it's a litter job. We know that we're going to have to carry them. It's probably going to take 15, 20 people because you can't have six people carry the litter the whole way out. They'll all die themselves. You got to have a rotation. We know this now and we didn't before. And that is pre-planning. So when we made it back out, we got, you know, we accomplished all aspects of our mission. We got all our GPS coordinates. We got all of our attractants marked and noted. We got a whole backpack load of trash out of there. We flagged the trail all the way up and down, probably over flagged it. I tried to go, you know, sight distance, you know, you don't want to overdo it, but I think I overdid it, but we got it flagged. And then we spent the rest of the afternoon after we got back up, got a little bit of something to eat in our bellies and, and got rehydrated. And we drove our way out and we stopped every freaking time we saw a trail, took a GPS coordinate. We got out and walked around a little bit in those trails and some of those attractions that we could see. And we made thorough notes of the entire mountain and we got an entire overview put together that allows us now to go down the list. Okay, so now we know we have the Slate Falls Trail. We know we have four known accesses to the OHV Trail. We know that we came across six other trails that are unnamed that we know nothing about. So we know now we've got multiple trips up to this mountain to properly pre-plan it. We have to hike all these trails. And that, to me, is awesome because I can't wait. I love having something to do. I love having something to do with search and rescue. So now we know... We've got a couple of years worth of pre-planning in front of us, and I'm excited about it. Something else we learned, and we found it on one of the old topo maps. James is actually the one that spotted it, but right at the very top of Slate Falls Trailhead, there's an old helipad. There is a clearing on top of the mountain that was likely a forestry service helipad. He found it on the map. We get and checked it out. It's got a bunch of sumac trees that are only, you know, four or five inches in diameter. So that's the plan for this coming January. We're probably going to go back and do once it's cold and everything's dead. We'll probably go back and camp and we will do the Slate Falls Trail because that's the next one on the list up from the Bell Star Cave Trail. And we will clear that helipad. That will give us an access. Y'all, that's a huge one. God, don't let me just blow by that one. That one is huge. If we clear that helipad and we make that a part of our yearly routine is to go up there and keep it knocked down and cleared, you have a landing zone for a bird at the top of the two most dangerous trails on that mountain and within a mile of the OHB trailheads. That is way closer than having to extract a patient all the way out and then carry them down the mountain on the back of a mule or a vehicle to the closest waiting helicopter. Again, shaving minutes. And when I say minutes in that case, it's 25 minutes from the top of that mountain to the bottom from the speed you have to have to drive. It's a rough road. So we discovered, looky here. We got an LZ, baby, and all we got to do is clear this LZ. So that's next on the list. It was a good and proper pre-plan, and we've got a plan moving forward to finish out the pre-plan. Guys, that is how it's supposed to work. I freaking love it when things work the way they're supposed to work, because I spend my whole life with nothing ever, 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 ever working the way it's supposed to work. 
that worked the way it was supposed to work. And I'm super excited because we have basically an endless number of things ahead of us to do. We always have something to do now, so we have no excuses to get complacent and rest on our laurels. We've got a big adventure coming up in just a couple of months now, all because we went up, we did our civic duty, and we did our preparatory work, and we pre-planned the best we could the preponderance of the Poto Mountain wilderness that is our responsibility within Sebastian County. And now we have got a roadmap moving forward of something we can do that will be of service to our families and friends in our community. And I'm just super psyched about it. I'm super psyched about it. And I'm super psyched about tonight's show. Like, I hope you guys enjoyed it. I know it took us a while to get to the search and rescue stuff, but I'm not even going to be apologetic anymore. You know, it's my podcast. I can do what I want with it. And I feel like everything at the beginning, it all had to do with this show. It all had to do with this show or my outlook on the world, which is why I'm here to start with. And I'm glad you guys are along for the ride. You have no idea, no idea how much I appreciate your interactions. Just like SJ again, terrible thing going on down there in her world. Send her your best vibes. But do you know how good it felt to me that she shared her story with me that she like trusted me enough to like, Hey, I just want to tell him this story. Like that means the world to me. That's why I'm doing this. And that's why I want to be here. And I encourage all of you to get in touch with me. You can do it. Instagram, Facebook, through messenger, any of that stuff. My wayward story at gmail.com. Go to the website, waywardstories.com and fill out the contact form. I don't care how, but get in touch y'all. I've got some great ongoing conversations with several of my listeners now from several states. That is the sauce. That's what makes the sauce awesome. That is what makes the sauce awesome. So please get in touch. Again, if you've got any spooky stories, make sure and send those in in the next couple of weeks before I get to the point of needing to produce the spooky season episode, and I would love to include it. I think that would be really awesome. I appreciate you guys for sticking around. We've definitely cleared our hour for tonight. So we're going to go ahead and wrap this dude up. I hope you guys did enjoy. And if you did, please like and subscribe. And y'all, again, I, I again, I will get on my knees and I will beg. The only thing I won't do is pay you because I don't have any money. But please write a review. If you can go from the main show page, wherever it is, whether you're Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcast, if you will go write a review and leave me all the good stars, as many as you want to, I won't twist your arm. It just means the world because every time I get another review, y'all, my downloads increase. Every single time I just get one more review and rating, my downloads increase because that's how it affects the, uh, the logarithm. So if any of you guys are feeling generous in your hearts, please go and rate, review, subscribe. And beyond that, you guys, man, I hope you have a good couple of weeks until I get to talk to you again. I enjoy this every time we get together. Hopefully again in the future, I can go back to a weekly production schedule, but unfortunately not going to be anytime soon. School has um, the majority of my heart right now. My daughter has all of it. School has what's left over and I give everything I have left to you guys in the podcast. So I appreciate you for sticking around. It means the world. Anyway, we will catch you guys in the next episode. And until we meet again, you guys go out there, find something good to do in this world and be good to each other more than anything.